Hey there. Today, we are talking about who lives, who dies, and who tells our story. That's right. We're going to dive into Hamilton today on Reframed. All right, all right, all right. What is going on, my peeps? Welcome to another episode of Reframed Podcast. I'm the host, at least I like to think I am. Uh, I'm Chase McKinney, and I am joined by one of my esteemed colleagues, but even more important than that, one of my very good friends, Paige. What is going on, Paige? Welcome to the show. So happy to have you here. Hello, hello, and uh, thanks for having me, Reframed listeners and host. Yeah, yeah. Super excited to be here. I'm ap- I'm super podcast. excited. I'm super excited that you're here. You have you were an early supporter of this this little tiny show um, that I did. That yeah, we, we wouldn't be where we are without you. So thank you, Paige, for supporting oh. us. Yeah, and thanks for humoring me to do this fun. I'll call it um, a fandom I'm a part of, but it's maybe a little obsession. It's it's a little bit of both, it. perhaps. It's a it's it's not a problem. Problem, just a little problem. <laughs> <laughs> I keep joking that uh, at the end of the year, the music service I listen to gives um, a summary of your most listened to music. And in 2015, it was Hamilton. And in 2020, it will again be Hamilton. It's Hamilton. Yeah. It's Hamilton. Yeah. There ain't no, it's going to be. It. It is. It is. Period. End of story. Yeah. Man. Okay. Well, um, for anyone out there listening, I think I've, I've I'm, I don't know if I've talked about you before, but I've talked about you before. Um, on the show at some point, I think. And uh, Paige and I, we met um, unofficially, I guess. Uh, that would have been around February of 2018, if I'm re- doing my math right. Yeah. We were, uh, Paige and I were both at the uh, same like interview like day for our PhD program. And it was, it was kind of funny, I guess, in a way, like kind of looking back on it, because we didn't really talk at all that day except for like as we're leaving at the end of interviews to like go to our respective cars basically yeah it was like hey good luck it was you and one other person and i was i didn't even know y'all's names i was like good luck guys (laughs) and you said you too and then we just my mom actually like the cool kid i am my mom picked me up for my interview (laughs) (laughs) it's fantastic (laughs) yeah yeah and then uh it bloomed when we got in and they did those little like cohort connects and Chase was really good at putting us all together and doing interaction stuff. And then we went to residency and, and then you wanted to kill me 67 times at least at minimum at least. Um, Yeah. But then, you know, a PSL and a frozen pizza later, (laughs) you remember that, (laughs) You know, fanciest program I've ever been to. Okay, so yes, it was very fancy, and, and um, I was just thinking about this because I think it was at that same Kroger that I had like a brief freakout moment because I had never seen a Star Trek T-shirt being sold at. I think it was Kroger, right? It was like a Super yeah. Kroger or something. Yeah, that's right. And you were like, "I need this T-shirt," and I think you bought it. I did buy it, and <laughs> it's it's one of those. Um, I don't know really how to describe it, but it's like a very thin, lightweight T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And uh, you eventually start looking like a male stripper after you wear it. 
for a while because like the the fabric like gets thinner and thinner and then you're able to see all the bidness that's all going on it's yeah. kind of sheen very very <laughs> there's sheen. nothing to the imagination dear listeners nothing modesty <laughs> out the window yeah uh, so yeah and then it's been history ever since yeah we've done all the things together like pretty much like ever since we met and uh, been stats partners we survived that hell together yeah i don't yeah we we did i don't know if we survived the spring but i guess we did i remember being very upset um last all spring <laughs> all the time in advanced multivariate statistics uh, yeah. i do not recommend that class um you know like you know would you recommend this class would you recommend this software no i would definitely most definitely not recommend advanced multivariate zero statistics. out of ten would not do again no <laughs> no do-overs <laughs> if i fail just like i'm done and you got yeah, we passed we did it I want to just put this into perspective, like the rest of like academia, right? Like you're looking at grade school, you're looking at high school, even undergrad, an A is an A, a B is a B, a C is a C and a D is definitely a D and an F is almost always failing. Actually, yeah, it, it is, except for in Michigan where an E is failing, figure that one out. But in a PhD program, if you get a B, you fail. Right. And There's no room for error. Zero. And we got an A minus um, in our multivariate statistics class, which is, I would probably say, a B. Like, what it really boils down to it. Yeah, B, B minus. And it's like, good grief. Like, I know there was stuff that was in that, in that stupid paper, for crying out loud. Like, oh, really? Yeah. We're, still, we're still salty about it. It's I, fine. Very salty. Like... <laughs> So much salt, so much sodium chloride. It's like not even funny. Not even funny. Anyway, well, what's been what's been going on in your world, Paige, with um, life? With life, yeah. So I work at a nonprofit um, counseling center. I work as their director of quality services for a company that originates in Florida. Um, we have offices in Tennessee and Kansas and Indiana and Washington state. I think that's everywhere. Um, and a lot of our offices do residential. We have contracts with like the federal bureau of prisons and my job that I'm moving into since COVID happened is to, um, work on data collection and finding ways to improve our services, uh, and working on ways to um, ensure employee satisfaction as well as clients. So that's a fun new adventure I'm taking on. Mm -hmm. um, as I just complain about stats, let's talk about my job where I collect data all day, but it's okay. <laughs> um, and what's new with my life? We're wrapping up our final full academic semester of school. It's bittersweet. I'm over it. I'm ready to be done. Um, I obtained my LPC for the state of Tennessee uh, in September. It finally showed up. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. Finally. I feel like I've been forever. waiting for that. I, mean, I feel like that was like a birth because, you know, we've been, you know, we have like our group chats and stuff and like our three or four friends that we, we talk to on the regular. I feel like your, your licensure thing has been a thing for like a year now. Yeah, it was October 24th. I submitted my application October 24th, 2019, and I got it in September of 2020. 
because they stopped meeting because worldwide pandemic. You know, and I see, even though like I'm not licensed in Tennessee, I still feel like that's like partly my license because I feel like I've been invested in it with you. Yeah, for no, a for year. sure. <laughs> I mean, I need to frame it and put a little like plaque on the bottom. This license is dedicated to <laughs> the Wolf Pack, Chase, and the other cohort members that have survived my blood, sweat, and tears. Survive um, is a very, very accurate word. Yeah, we've we've all gone through this nonsense together, and. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I'm I'm very happy for you. I'm glad that you know people are recognizing talent, Dadgummit. <clears throat> um, you're a very talented person and kicking butt, taking names there in good old Chattanooga, Tennessee. If we can yes, say that. Yes, that's right. I guess I, I am from Chattanooga, Tennessee, born and raised. Come on, somebody. I would say Rocky Top, but like as per every year, we're failing everyone. So mm. well it's done. Kind of a thing. Yeah, you're succeeding and failing. Good job. Yes. Yes, if there's one thing that I've learned that is consistent with life is crab rangoons are never bad, and Tennessee football is always bad. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we're just, of course, we're just playing catch up on that kind of stuff. Um, uh, part of this, part of the show is we do talk a little about um, some mental health news um, that's kind of going on, like kind of making the rounds in general. Um, has there been like anything in particular that's kind of caught your eye page when it comes to like the happenings of mental health? Yeah. So two things that I've seen a lot of is one, um, this whole quarantine pandemic, I've been working from home since March the 13th. Um, and I will now permanently work from home. Uh, so I will never leave my house. <laughs> but is one accessibility concerns with like mental health counseling and that telehealth is a legitimate option. I remember even myself like three years ago, people were talking about signing up to be therapists on, um, on online platforms. And I was like, I just don't know how that's as effective and how you can like form the same relationship with people. But here I am three years later mm-hmm. seeing clients, some who I've seen for several years. So we had that relationship, but some new ones and it's just the new normal. And I think it has shown um, specifically, you know, insurance companies who are the people who dictate what we can and can't do that this is a viable service and this is something that everyone needs um, because it increases accessibility. I had clients, I live, so Chattanooga is a metropolitan area surrounded by rural counties. And some of my clients were driving an hour to come see me. And so they could only come once a month because that's a two hour round trip drive. So then once this online therapy thing, they started coming coming weekly because they needed weekly to be frank, but couldn't afford it. And so um, I'm really excited for the gaps that it's bridging. It's sad that it took something like this for it to happen. Um, But I think telehealth is the way of the future. Yeah, I, I kind of got into the I mean, I had to get into the telehealth um, thing out of necessity um, Mm -hmm. about a year ago. um, uh, Like we were alluding to earlier with um, you know, our, our program and like this whole residency thing where we go and basically have summer camp in a, at a university for a week, essentially. Um, I came back and I had lost my job and I think I've talked about that briefly on here before. And I was like, Oh God, what am I going to do? And looking at all the things, looking at, 
you know, Talkspace. I'm looking at BetterHelp. Um, I'm at the same time, like I'm forming my own private practice because I kind of have to at this point. Mm-hmm. And so far it's, it's paid off. It's been good. And I think the challenge that comes with, with telehealth is the, um, yes, there's a need, but there's also, um, this idea of, is it appropriate for, for like, you know, the, the folks that come in, like mm-hmm. whether you're, I think depression, anxiety, and relational stuff, I mean, like, yeah, that's that's pretty pretty easy to work with. But when you're talking, like, personality stuff, you're talking about, like, maybe some bipolar and some, like, other maybe harder-hitting type of mental health issues, like, you really got to be real careful in how in, in what you choose and, and how you approach it because right. um, you can do more harm than good. And we have, like, of course, our, our ethical stuff that we have to adhere to. Um, in terms of like the benefit of counseling, like are they actually getting a benefit out of this or are you just, you know, putting dollars in your pocket because you can type of thing. Right. And then it's for some, um, cause I work in community rural health and we might be the only person who takes their insurance. And so some of those are harder hitting cases who might have bipolar one, but are stable mostly but then if they have another episode of any of manic or extreme depression like at that point telehealth is all we got Mm -hmm. um and so yeah it's been definitely i've been on a pandemic committee with my job since march which sounds so so much cooler than it is one and so (laughs) post-apocalyptic um but it's just talking about how telehealth especially for people who are like living alone or really isolated has had way greater impact and effect than any of us anticipated in our agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can only imagine that that's the case for others as well. Okay. Well, um, if you are looking for counseling, um, and you're in the Tennessee area, I would recommend Paige. She's good at what she does. And uh, look her up. Are you on psych today? No, um, I don't know that I'm on psych today. Our organization is, and it can be because of telehealth and insurance paying for it, it can be anywhere in Tennessee. Yeah, that's true. Um, currently. So, yeah, we'd love to see how we can help and how we can work together and build better, inspire brighter tomorrows. We just got a new mission statement. Yeah. Inspire brighter tomorrows. There we go. There we go. Do you, um, just real quick before we start getting into this thing, do you have a specific like specialty, uh, specific niche that you, you hang out in? You know, I get asked that a lot and I've worked in community mental health my whole career. So I get a lot of everything. I like my geriatrics. Okay. Um, I like my geriatrics and uh, I like working with existential stuff that doesn't have an answer, like, Mm. like picking through the weeds of existence and life. I'm like, yes, let's do it. Um, And also (laughs) bipolar disorder. I have, well, I think they do. I'm fine with it. It's, it's developing, taking, I like to take a really concrete measurable approach and using graphs and things to help them track. And I find that is really cool. I'm very person centered and don't really give homework and 
Yeah. I love homework. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm kidding. I do like homework, though. Um, all right. Well, again, if you're in Tennessee, wherever you are, whether you're in the Smokies, you're in Nashville, or anywhere in between, um, Paige is amazeballs when it comes to uh, mental health care, and I would recommend her. So uh, if you're inter- interested, um, you know, feel free to look her up if that's a thing that you really want to do. And if Paige wants to take you on, of course, that's another thing, too. So, yeah, I'm if, sure if you reach out to the podcast, social media, Chase will get I'll, it to me. I'll hook a brother up. Hook sister, a brother whatever. Up. whatever. Yeah, person. It's a, yeah, it's a thing. All right. So, Paige, you and I have been talking about this particular show for like doing this show for a minute now. I mean, uh, since July the 3rd, when I stayed up until three of the morning to watch Hamilton. Right. On Disney Plus. Yes. And I, I had never, I've never seen it. Um, I can remember the first time that I heard anything like Hamilton. I'm like, huh? And I was doing, um, I was doing group counseling for um, kids in divorce. Um, so I had like, I think I had like, um, like teenagers. I think, like, I think the group at that time was like, fifth, fourteen to like eighteen year olds or something like that. I think is what it was. And this, this young lady comes in with her iPod, 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 iPod. And you mean you mean your music wasn't always on your phone everywhere you went? That's right. She comes in with an iPod because her parents didn't want her having a smartphone. So they got her an iPod and they made her use that for all her music. And then she had like a dumb flip phone, which I, I like that boundary. I think that's pretty cool. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and she was just like bebopping and like losing it and like getting after it, like with all these different songs. I'm like, what is Hamilton? What is this? How can something about an old white man be cool? I didn't even make that connection at first. Like, I just like, is it like a new rap star or something? Cause like, she was like rapping stuff. And I'm like, I've never heard of Hamilton. I don't listen to rap music. And um, then she started telling me about like American history and government. I'm like, oh, that Hamilton. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Picking up with your founding father. That's right. That's right. Makes so many references. And see, I found out about Hamilton. I minored in theater in college. I've done musical theater stuff since I was a wee lass. Um, and so it just popped up on Spotify one day as like recommended music. And I was like, what is this? And I listened to it. This was I was in my internship for grad school, it was 2015. And of course, couldn't understand the words because some of them are pretty fast. They break several records in that show. Um several. And so once I really got down to it and listened to the words and was able to notice just the genius that makes up that we'll go into, I'm sure the show, um, I became hashtag obsessed mm-hmm. and it had kind of faltered for a little while. I mean, I still listen to the soundtrack every once in a while. The songs were on some playlists cause he, cause you know, they released Hamilton mixtape things. They have taken this and reached beyond just the musical theater community They've done, you know, Eduham, which is where they let students come in and do creative things. They did the Hamilton mixtape where there's a Weird Al Hamilton polka, which is so good. Um, But yeah, it had kind of gone out of my arena until I saw it in, which is so weird to say, in January of 2020, I saw it in Nashville, the touring cast. And I was in a 
auditorium with thousands of people, maybe not thousands, mm-hmm. maybe uh, definitely 8,000 anyways, which is so weird to think about now. Cause that was less than a year ago. Um, and seeing the nuances of the art, the dancers, the facial expressions just made it way more powerful. So then when they said it was coming out in the middle of this pandemic, it was, it's like, this is what I need to survive living alone during a pandemic with no school. Cause we were on summer break. Right. Um, and since then I, I gleaned a lot more of it, seeing it with the original cast and on the sh- movie and I'll tell you why nothing can replace live theater, but being able to be that close and to see the facial interactions. I mean, we're therapists. We thrive on people's body language and true story, the way they look. And so me picturing how someone said a lyric and when I saw it, I sat in the nosebleeds because it was expensive. Um, Welcome to Hamilton. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I paid way too much money for two tickets, but it was worth it. I cried the entire time. Um but being able to see the nuanced things and the ways people identified with the character and portrayed emotion in the characters, um, mm. especially Philippa Sue as uh, Eliza, Eliza. Eliza. Um, and seeing her character development from helpless where she's this bright and bubbly girl to it's quiet uptown. And after having, you know, do we spoiler alert this whole thing? By the way, this is not a spoiler free podcast. Go. Okay. And also it's American history. So um, when their, when their son dies and to see her come around after Hamilton's death and seeing just how much investment into these people and telling stories of these people who, frankly, I'd never heard of, or didn't, I, I mean, I'd heard of Hamilton. He's on the money, but I didn't know he made the coast guard or he's the reason why Washington right. DC exists. Right. None of that. And I just, have spent a lot of time. I mean, given I have a lot of time now because pandemic thinking about and processing ways that it speaks to, I mean, so many issues that I think we all face. Yeah. Um, grief and loneliness and wanting to achieve and, um, trying to make the best out of whatever hands you were dealt because both mm-hmm. Aaron Burr and Hamilton were dealt really crappy hands mm-hmm. um, and still were able to succeed. And so I, um, I don't know if you knew this about me, Paige, but um, my undergrad is in political science and um, I focused more on comparative politics, like international relations than I did like political theory or U S history. And I mean, you got to take like all like the basic of each of the categories of, of poli sci. And um, I think theory was probably my, my least favorite. No, 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 no. State, state and local politics. I think that was my least favorite class that I took um, in my degree. So watching this play out and having like those moments of like the Federalist Papers, you know, being being focused on. I love that. Um, the only other time I can immediately recall like the Federalist Papers being kind of like in the spotlight was National Treasure. And I'm like, okay, that's a little, that's a little much, yo. Like let's, let's kind of dial it back a little bit, you know, with, yeah. with that. But I, I liked, I liked that, um, like how that played out um, in the whole like running out of time 
um, song that, that we hear. Yeah, and they and I think it's also this educational piece because National Treasure talking about the Federalist Papers. I did not leave that movie knowing what those were or why they existed. Mm-hmm. But in one song, it's and and the same thing. The same the same yeah. thing goes for the Reynolds pamphlet too. Like when mm-hmm. we were talking about like you know Hamilton essentially telling on himself, basically right, self sabotaging to yeah. the max. Um, so that he can be the one that's breaking the story instead of someone else essentially breaking it on him. Um, so, you know, like this, you're talking about like how 2020 has been this year where like we're, we're isolating, like we're having to like hunker down and, and do our own thing or whatever. And how like this particular play slash movie has really been like a comfort for you. And um, I'm just going to take a quick aside because there's another movie that came out that's absolutely ridiculous and people are very divided about it. I really like it. My family really likes it. And that's Eurovision. Um, I loved that movie so much. I laughed. I cried. I laughed some more. I love Eurovision. And the thing that was cool about Eurovision um, is that Eurovision was canceled for 2020. It was like the first year that Eurovision had been canceled. And the fact that there was this stand-in uh, for Eurovision, even though it was like the recording, I think from like the year prior or the year before that, uh, was really cool for those that are fans of Eurovision. And I, and it's the same idea for, for, um, Hamilton as well. Cause I had a, I have a buddy um, that I go to church with, um, shout out to you, Seth, if you're listening to this and he was supposed to be seeing Hamilton. Um, I think it was supposed to be like the week, like a couple weeks prior to when this dropped. And of course it was canceled because of the pandemic. So mm-hmm. he got a little bit of, of um, a consolation prize, but he was very pleased with the fact that he got to experience something that was essentially taken away from, I don't know like what the actual timing was, but it's just really cool how, how it really played out and having that satisfaction. And it take to, it take, it took away some of the elitist because, you know, Broadway, there's limited seats, tickets became so expensive. Like, it made it just so much more accessible to the general public and make the arts, you know, a kid, they, they see, I follow their Twitter, of course, and showing kids that are watching this and who probably wouldn't go into a Broadway theater because mm-hmm. they're four or five, but getting them to understand like creativity is cool and engaging in that part of their brain that mm-hmm. is not underdeveloped, but right now, you know, STEM is the big push in school, you know, right. Science, technology, engineering, math. I was, I'll, I'll say this and then we can, let's start talking a little about, about like themes and, and like connecting this to mental health. Um, like we do here on this show. Um, first off Broadway HD recommend it. It's um, something that you can add on to, um, Amazon, Prime, I believe it's like an extra thing. There's other ways of doing it, but I, I know like a lot of people use Amazon. So if you want to do that, it's like, I think 10 bucks a month or something like that. It's very affordable. Um, so go for it. Um, I, me being someone that's not a fan of rap, I mean, just putting it out there. I was skeptical about watching it. Cause like, I know everyone was like Gaga over it. I'm like, what is the big friggin' deal about this play? Like I love musicals. I love musicals. I'm a theater junkie. Love them to death. My my absolute favorite musical is The Music Man. Like, like for you, like your Music Man is Hamilton. And mm-hmm. anyway, um, I love it. I, we had a friend. Uh, we have a we had a Zoom group that we had formed 
uh, during this pandemic and we were doing like these different like personalized virtual birthday thingies for our friends and one of our friends loves 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 Hamilton and we took one of the songs and we recorded ourselves like either rapping it or singing it made it into a zoom video and sent it to them and um and coincidentally this is actually one of my favorite songs on it does a ragtag volunteer army in need of a shower somehow defeat a global superpower how do we emerge victorious from the quagmire? Leave the battlefield waving Betsy Ross's flag higher. Yo, turns out we have a secret weapon, an immigrant. You know and love who's unafraid to step in. He's constantly confusing, confounding oh, yeah. the British henchmen. Everyone give it up for America's favorite fighting Frenchman! I'm taking this horse by the reins, making red coats, weather with blood stains. Anyways, I did not rap the Lafayette part i did like the aaron burr part and then i did like the the rest of the the chorus and, and things like that like just saying hamilton because like that's 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 all i can do um but anyway that that was like my gateway into giving hamilton an actual shot so that being said this this dropped on disney plus this last summer like we were alluding to and i'm like all right Paige, i'll watch it and and i'll tell and i actually texted you i'm like I'm about to start Hamilton after. So you texted me. So it came out at midnight Pacific time, which I'm in the Eastern time zone, which was 3 a.m. And I stayed up all night and it's three hours long. So like you texted me at like 645, seven, like, how was it? Cause I hadn't fallen asleep yet. And I was like, <laughs> it was so good. And then I crashed. And the next thing I knew you had watched it. Like you texted me like 12 hours later. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I watched it in the evening and she was smart. Probably. Because my wife wanted to watch it too, so we just we sat in the living room and we watched it. And mm-hmm. anyway, let's let's get into it. Let's get into yeah. it. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Of course, this is American history. Um, this is a story of of legacy. Um, mm-hmm. It's is really what it boils down to, um, like the legacy that Alexander Hamilton left behind um, on our country. And there's a lot of other stuff that like weaves in with that. Right. And so I think a big part of that legacy, it sums up in the last song, who lives, who dies, who tells your story, all of, he fought so hard for himself to be remembered one way. Mm -hmm. And that's not how he was remembered. No. Like he put nonstop talks about how much of the Federalist papers he wrote and how he wanted prestige to lead an army and didn't have any money. And so he married up. Um, And at the end of the day, he's on the $10 bill i didn't know he was the founder of the treasury of the united states but again see i took american history in high school and didn't know that and so it just part of it for me really made me perspective take in mental health world of if is what i'm doing today that i'm stressed out about particularly stress or anxiety if i am anxious about this today in 20 years from now will it matter right and if I can be very vulnerable right now, uh, I think this is a safe space for the most part. I'm, I've been feeling very anxious about, about this whole, like becoming a PhD candidate thing. Mm-hmm. Cause like I'm seeing everyone around me having degrees of success or failure with it, you know? 
um, as yeah. we're as we're in the midst of it. And, you know, we're we're looking at like, will this like will will this really matter in 20 years? Like if I got it the first time, the second time, the third time, you know, mm-hmm. whether you or anyone got it on the first shot, you know, yeah. I did miss my shot, by the way. Um, I threw away my shot, apparently. Um, but it's it's not going to matter. The only thing that's going to really matter is did I get my doctorate? That's going to matter. Right. But the manner in which I get it does not matter. And that's a reframe right there. Well done. Reframe. Name of the podcast. Dropped it in there. There we go. Um, and it's also to who tells us? Because at the end of the day, Hamilton was, he wrote the Reynolds pamphlet to tell his own story, to tattletale on himself. But at the end of the day, it was Eliza who told his story. Mm-hmm. Who did things, the orphanage, which is like a clutch the part where everyone cries really hard um the orphanage because alexander hamilton was an orphan and wanting to give back um and mother children and george washington mentored him and so she helped with the washington monument she took the parts of hamilton that were important like his character traits of resilience and um strong connections with others and highlighted those in his legacy. Yeah. As opposed to being known as like, I didn't know about the Reynolds pamphlet, you know, like. Let me tell you what I wish I'd known. Yeah. When uh, I was young and dreamed of glory, you have no control. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? President Jefferson, I'll give him this. His financial system is a work of genius. I couldn't undo it if I tried. And I've tried. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? President Madison. He took our country from bankruptcy to prosperity. I hate to admit it, but he doesn't get enough credit for all the credit he gave us. It's true. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? Every other founding father's story gets told. Every other founding father gets to grow old. And when you're gone, who remembers your name? Keeps your flame. Who tells your story? Who tells your story? I think the coupling of that song with "One Last Time" mm-hmm. is just beautiful. So, one last time when George Washington is retiring and acknowledging his limits, and I think that's something I didn't really consider because essentially George Washington was like one day, like I'm done being president yeah. because he was tired and. He had seen what he had done, felt satisfied with his work, and stopped. He wanted to enjoy the rest of his life. And part of that, too, from a historical perspective, not just like recognizing limits, because that is very important. Mm-hmm. From a from a historical perspective, you got to remember, as a as a brand new nascent nation, we were trying to distinguish ourselves from the crown, mm-hmm. from from England, and. It was one of those things like we don't want a ruler for life. And people were very content with having uh, Washington lead America until he died. And part of it was he had the foresight to recognize, nah, bro, I don't want that. Like we are not going to become England all over again with same, same thing, different name. And I think that's wisdom. That is, that's looking ahead of what you want, not only for something bigger than you, but what's appropriate for yourself too. Yeah. 
yeah, that one. And just the way he's like, we're going to teach them how to do this the right way. We're going to teach them how to have an election, how to choose their own leader, that empowerment piece of like, the country doesn't want me to, to uh, not run for president. I don't know the fancy word for it, but um, we're going to teach them that that's okay. And they're going to be okay. And here we are 200 some odd years later, mostly, mostly okay. I we're, mean, we're okay. We haven't imploded on ourselves. No, we're, we're okay. We've, we've been through worse for crying out loud. Um, and I realize this is a political play, mm-hmm. but we're as a nation, if you're an American, we're going to be okay. It doesn't matter if it's red or blue. That's the person sitting in the, in the white house in the oval office. We're going to be okay. Right. So. And I think to, um, jumping to another theme, I can really appreciate it. Aaron Burr's like made out to be the villain of this show, but like his, I think there are two different responses to trauma if we're going to make this mental health related, right? Sure. Um, they're both orphans. They are both, um, you know, starting from nothing. And Alexander, Alexander Hamilton, his, the song nonstop represents his tenacity and his hypervigilance and his compensation. Whereas Burr, wait for it. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to wait for it. He's seeing that he... Well, one, he doesn't want to take a stand. He doesn't want to, you know, ostracize other people. He wants, it's kind of people pleasing that fight, flight or freeze and fawning. He's fawning a little bit. And so at the end of the day, that's what their big dispute is. Burr stands, stands for nothing. He is a chameleon, but that's safe for Burr Mm -hmm. who was an orphan and had to fight his way up. Whereas Hamilton's making noise and making a name for himself because he had to get himself out of a really crappy situation. And the only way he saw to do that was to make a lot of noise. And did either of them work? Was one better than the other? I don't think so. It's about how adaptive or maladaptive it was. But at the end of the day, they both chose how they responded to their life. And they chose, they chose the way they interacted with the situations around them being in war and seeing their friends die. Um, You know, Burr had a child uh, with a woman he wasn't supposed to have a child with. And like that trauma of maybe not getting to be in her life. And so seeing these two men as people who are acting out of their trauma, I see it in my clients. I see my clients who, you know, sit there and, um, are go, go, go. If I can just do more, if I can just be more then it'll make everything worth it. If I can just keep going, if I can achieve more then people will love me, if I can mm-hmm. uh, run myself ragged, then I'm worthy of, um, right. Love acceptance. And then the other side of it is Burr. Who's like, I can't rock the boat because rocking the boat is scary. And yeah. so I just got to sit back and be kind of like a passive person in my own life. Mm-hmm. Which, um, which rubs Hamilton the wrong way, like you just like you were saying, mm-hmm. and ultimately cost him the presidency, and a lot more than that with what we know with what happens not only in the play but also in history as well. Yeah. I didn't know who Aaron Burr was until Hamilton, yeah, and he did a lot of good. And, and- there, there was, um, 
you know, we the part where guys, this is this is American history. So like, yes, it's a play, but you, you can't really spoil American history, I guess. Right. Um, you know, when when the duel happened, like it just it ha- it like the play wraps it up in like such a beautiful, finite way. But there was so much more to it. If I if I remember correctly, like Aaron Burr had to go into hiding. Yes. For well over a year. And he was the vice president. And he had to go into hiding because people were after him. They were looking for the, the man that killed Hamilton. And mm-hmm. trying to figure out what the devil are we going to do with this dude. Right. And, you know, again, we're we're a brand new nation at this point. Like we're, you know... 10, 15 years on roughly when this is, when this has taken place. I mean, like we talk actually more than that. I'm sorry, 1776. And then we have like the election of 1800. So shoot, we're 25, almost 30 years on from being a nation. And this is happening. Right. And I think Burr says it best after the duel, you know, now I'm the villain in your histories. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people who have trauma, and act out of that trauma because that's their reality that's their truth find themselves to be victim or to be villains or to be villainized because they're reactionary they are um just very you know they can they're very um raw and very you know they they're acting out of what they know is safe and right. that can sometimes rock the boat and cause villainry. Right. And a lot, a lot, a lot of times with, with trauma, like you are in a state of, of being raw and not being able to heal, so to speak, or heal effectively. Or um, regulate. Yeah. I mean, you're, you have, you have stuff that's constantly reminding you, like you have, like we call them triggers. Like you have these things that, um, whether it's a sight, it's a smell, it's a person, it's a conversation. Uh, I mean, we look at the DSM five and what defines, you know, true PTSD, you know, non-complex trauma, like just trauma, like little, uh, not little T, but just DSM five post-traumatic stress disorder. Like these are the things. And mm-hmm. we see it a lot with people that have served in the military, um, not that it doesn't happen to regular folks, because it does. I mean, sexual trauma, physical trauma, natural disasters. Um, pandemics. Freaking pandemics. Freaking pandemics, man. 2020. Welcome to 2020. It is one year of trauma. And that's something I don't think people give themselves enough credit for, too, is when you when they have these experiences and these traumas, and even while they are healing and are maybe in therapy for it, and still reacting out of it. It's just the brain and the body trying to protect you. Yeah. And I just, when I think of the two men, one of the many views I've come to lay with Hamilton is as trauma victims who are working to survive. When Burr says I'm the villain in your histories, he was just his, he was just trying to protect himself. His brain was in that, you know, fight or flight mode and, it didn't work out. Right. Yeah. And do we have time for one more theme? 
There are ten things you need to know. We rode across the Hudson at dawn. Yes, we have we have time. I want to play this in the background. Um, and there are so many nuances. If you haven't seen Hamilton, like you have to watch it. Like there's a character who represents death. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, Chase. The when King George the first time breaks someone's neck, that every time she is present later in the show. She is death. She's the one who's holding the bullet during the duel. Oh, okay. Philip Schuyler flirts with her before okay. his duel. So he's flirting with death. The okay. character named Bullet. And so I think death and, I mean, leaving a legacy involves everyone dying eventually. But grief plays such a huge role in this. Because you can argue that after John's, John Lauren's death, mm-hmm. Hamilton definitely broke down. Right. He, that's when he went on to write all of this stuff and nonstop happens right after that's announced. And then of course, when Philip dies, mm-hmm. played and, by the same person. Yeah. Played by the same person, which is just powerful. Um, you know, there's been this big disruption in their marriage. Um, but when their son dies, Hamilton finally slows down. I've never liked the quiet before. And how grief can just be this life-changing event. And it hurts and it's terrible and it changes the way you see the world. But it can also be this unifying, I don't want to say beautiful because that sounds very nonchalant, but it can be this unifying force. You know, it brought Eliza and Hamilton back together. It did. They were able to grieve together and grieve with each other and how grief you know george washington grieves at the end of one last time like when he's belting it out and like cries at the end in the movie version Mm -hmm. um he's grieving his loss of his job and loss of his post and how grief can come in and sweep through and it's what you do with your grief right they moved uptown hamilton started spending more time with his kids taking them to church walking in the park together. Um, You know, after Hamilton died, Eliza really got invested in leaving his legacy, telling his story. And I just found that, again, another one of the things that popped into my brain um, to be a really cool theme, a really cool um, message that I took away from it as well. Yeah. There's there's so much stuff that's, that's going on and um just maybe maybe like a slight pivot uh from like these themes that were kind of gleaning page um we certainly in america right now in 2020 we um are a very divided nation um ideologically at this point I would say, would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. We have this us versus them kind of mentality, um, politically, interpersonally. Um, and one of the, the decisions that I believe it was um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the guy that wrote and did all the things with this play. Was Hamilton. Was Hamilton, yeah. Um, was the decision to have um to kind of flip it 
to where it wasn't all white folk. Um, right. And for the sound, right, to have like um, like a an R and B urban uh, rap urban sound to it. Um, and I, I want to camp out here for just a little bit, if that's okay, in terms of like that choice that mm-hmm. was made with it. Um, I think the tagline, and please help me if I screw this one up. Um, it's, it's, um, oh my goodness. I can't believe I just blanked on it. Um, America yesterday told by America today or something like that. Is that yeah, right? Something of the sort. And I think many facets to this, seeing a lot of responses of families who have little girls who aren't as equally represented in the Broadway community. It's just been traditionally shows were cast. I mean, Lin-Manuel also wrote in the Heights, which is um, about living in Washington Heights, which is a largely um, Latinx community. And, but Hamilton taking this choice and saying, you know, the choices that these men made affected everyone some maybe disproportionately. Um, there's a part in Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story when um, Eliza says, I spoke out against slavery, that Washington, who's played by an African-American actor, steps back um, as kind of a representation of like, that was a, sh- that was a shameful moment in our history. Mm-hmm. And just that choice to make it I think relatable to more people and make it something Right. To acknowledge that, like, we are a diverse nation with so many different cultures to be celebrated and and gleaned from, learned from, so many things we could take from each other. Um, mm-hmm. But putting something in common ground, musical, a, th- a play. Yeah. And you know, we are, as Americans, you know, we are made up of such diversity, mm-hmm. like as biological beings that call ourselves Americans, you know, but mm-hmm. like we wouldn't be who we are as a nation without immigrants. I mean, we are freaking immigrants for crying out loud. Um, and I really liked, liked that. And this is there's a there's a term in in theater i think it's mainly like theater and like drama um called like subtext mm-hmm. and one thing that i was thinking um you know thinking about like the whole um having predominantly like african americans and latinx uh folks you know playing these these parts is they're the white people Okay, mm-hmm. and the white people are the black people. They're the, the they're the yeah. they're the diverse. They're the they're the other, if you mm-hmm. will. They're they're representing the the misgivings that, um, the bad stuff that we did early on as a nation. And I'm wondering if that struck a chord with you, or even our our listeners out in Listenerland, about like maybe thinking about that way. Like, what if that was you? What if that was you know, your, your brother, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and something I noticed, um, and what did I miss? Like 
when all of his servants are like running around, they're all white. Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I live in the South and I don't think it is a surprise to anyone that the South has a lot more struggles with racial tensions um, and things like that because I mean, Thomas Jefferson was from the South and it only, you know, the further South you got, the more common it was. Slavery was very common in the South. And so sitting back and thinking about like, if I was in that situation on either side, um, like if the roles were reversed in this subtext or, you know, my family owned enough, whatever to, have slaves like how i would feel and be able to justify that and how much it also yeah this brings um up kind of like the the herd mentality like group think mm-hmm. everyone else is everyone else is doing it and it's okay and no one else really has a problem with it in my neighborhood so like sure gotta be fine and so i try to put myself in the context and do i want to think that i would be like wait this feels weird and wrong sure but do i know that that would be the case i don't mm-hmm. especially because i'm also a woman no one's gonna listen to me anyways <laughs> not back then i listen to you now thank you i appreciate it i try to yeah <laughs> so yeah that's something in that choice that just not only again providing you know kids opportunity to see People of color like David Diggs, who plays Thomas Jefferson, like won a Tony. I loved listening to him. He was, David Diggs was the was Jefferson Lafayette, right? Yeah, I yeah. loved him. Loved him so much. And I don't think there have been too many because in a musical category in drama, yes, there have been some African American people who've won, but not too many in musicals and just showing people that it felt like an invitation. Like everyone's welcome to the table. We can all do this. We, we all have chances. We all have talent and this mm-hmm. is a celebration of all of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the, there, 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 this is like, um, this is like an onion. It's not, it doesn't stink, but it does make you cry. And there are layers. Um, like there's, there's legacy in here. There's, um, there's trauma in here. All these things that we've been talking about, Hamilton has it. And the more you watch it, like you pick up on like such subtle things. And, um, I like this musical, um, and it's probably going to be sacrilegious what I'm about to say. It's not my favorite, but I like it. Right. Um, I like this musical and I think when you do a good job with a story, whether it's a musical or not, actually, I'll let me back up. This is not a musical. It's a play. That's technically an opera. We had this conversation in the summer. We did. Um, this is technically an opera, but because there's no dialogue, there's no dialogue. It's one continuous, um, melody and song and delivery of, of exposition through song. So technically this is opera. So that's another th- cool thing that's going on with this particular uh, piece of, of creation is that we, we have opera that's becoming mainstream and, and some people, and people call it like hip opera, uh, but that's, that's fine. Um, that yes. But, but, but again, we're making opera cool. 
We're making mm-hmm. opera accessible. And that's the thing. Like, we got that. And with this story and this legacy, and um, Eliza says in that very last song, I put myself back in the narrative. Mm-hmm. And how cool is it for looking at Hamilton, seeing people of color portraying like these important figures in American history and Mm -hmm. they are putting themselves in the narrative when they were otherwise not part of it. Right. From a creative perspective that that's pretty stinking cool. And, and I think again, if we're talking like mental health and themes, issues, topics and things like that, I mean, I think that's the other part too, like from a, like even like a narrative therapy perspective is how have you read your story? Like mm-hmm. how, how do you formulate it? How do you remember it? Because part of like narrative is you've remembered things wrong. You've read your story wrong and we need and to like, you let write it for you. Yeah. And who, yeah. Who wrote it for you? Did you play a role in, in the authorship of your own story? And I think that's something that's worth connecting, worth mm-hmm. noting in, in what Hamilton's doing and what Lin-Manuel Miranda did in creating this, this opera, this, this play, this, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And you said, this is an onion has many layers. Um, and this, and there's just so much to it about ways that emotionality is involved in telling this narrative and from the, chords they chose to use and the same the changing of the chord progressions i got really into some music theory about it for a while and just the way that not only they're telling the narrative of alexander hamilton in american history but they're also just speaking to this narrative you're right of people who are putting themselves back into a narrative and people who are making a new narrative as well Mm -hmm. like this is new ways to think of things Mm -hmm. it's a hip opera it's a more diverse cast of a show. It's using all of these factors to make this new narrative of what America is now. Yeah. And, and capitalizing on the importance of we all played a part in creating this wonderful, I think, I still think it's a wonderful nation, this wonderful country that we live in that, whether it was, whether you're white, you're black, you're whatever, purple, polka dotted, you're important. Like your, your value isn't diminished. And I think this, this does a really good job. Hamilton does a very good job of speaking to that value that you have inherently as a human. Yeah. And I think the truest line that's toward the end of the show during Hamilton's soliloquy when he is in the duel he says, America, you beautiful, unfinished symphony. Mm. And I think that's still the case on 200 odd years later. Mm. It's still a symphony. It's being written. Symphonies have times where they're in minor chords, when there are dark times, a pandemic, a lot of unrest. And then there are times of flourishing when the music's happy and go lucky. And so um, I echo that sentiment. I think it's still an unfinished symphony. It's like our, your narrative, well, I think a country's narrative doesn't really end because unless it ceases to exist, but you know, your, your story is still going on. Your narrative is still going on. Yeah. And again, with a symphony, you have 
a giant swath. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a word. Yeah, a giant swath of instruments mm-hmm. that, again, they're all invited to the party. Now, whether you're a trumpet and you're a show at all, you're, you're a show off and you get to play all the all the things, or you know you're a cello and you get to play you know four, five, six bars. You're invited. Or you're the triangle guy. Yeah, and you just, or a timpani or whatever it might be. All the instruments yeah. are invited. All the people are invited. And I think that's part of what we should consider, not just as as a country. Uh, and by the way, I'm not taking a political stance on this, so that's my disclaimer. But we need to have as many people at the table as possible. We need to have a diversity of ideas and be open to a diversity of ideas. Whether I'm conservative, I'm liberal, whether I'm white or black, whether I'm male or female, we need to have that diversity if we really want the best um, that we can get. Yeah, agreed. And um, I think that's part of the challenge that we we've, we see as mental health professionals mm-hmm. is we have these, these hurts of, of clients that come in and sit in our, our therapy room. Like what that might have like very similar things that we might be seeing or be talking about right now. Mm-hmm. And we got to sort through that stuff. Right. And it sucks and it's painful. Yeah. Yeah. And like facing your own stuff in the midst of it, whether that's counter-transference because they have a similar narrative as yours mm-hmm. or biases that we have to come to recognize because no one is bias free. We're not. I know. Sorry. Spoiler alert. Part two. <laughs> oh man. Well, I could nerd about nerd out about Hamilton for days. You could, I could, you could, but we don't have days. We don't have days. I, don't, I think people would get grow weary of my voice. We could do a part two. See what happens. In the inevitable tears, that would happen. <laughs> <laughs> we, could, we could totally do a part two and see what happens. If you yeah, ever we'll want see. to do that. Yeah. So what was your favorite song from this? Let's let's kind of pivot a little bit. I so um so I'm a theater person and song that is in of the female variety that is in my range. Say no to this. I love it. It's it's the alto in me um i also learned how to play satisfied on ukulele this summer okay um so that was fun too but my favorite song i mean oh i love guns and ships i think it's one last time though um especially they did the 44 remix where um after um, president obama had left office where he read the um George Washington's words. So, and just Christopher Jackson's talent, man, it is unparalleled. He's also the dad in Moana. Did you know that? The guy who played George Washington is the dad in Moana. Christopher Jackson? Yeah. No, he's not. No, the guy yeah. that, no, the guy that plays Django Fett from New Zealand plays um Chief Tui in Moana. He's the singing voice. Christopher Jackson is? Mm-hmm. Is a singing voice? Oh, okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact, tidbit trivia. So yeah, I think it's one last time. 
with an upright zeal, the faults of incompetent yes. abilities will be consigned to oblivion. As this is just for you, Paige. Hmm. I anticipate with pleasing expectation that retreat in which I promise myself to realize the sweet enjoyment of partaking in the midst of my fellow citizens. The benign influence of a good laws of a free government, the ever favorite object of my heart, and a happy reward. Oh, goodness. It's just good. It's very good. Watch Hamilton if you haven't watched it. Give it a chance. People are like it's too much singing. Turn on subtitles. Don't say no to this. Don't say no to this. Say yes to Hamilton. Yeah, my my favorite is, and it's not the greatest singing one, but it just it hits all the right things for me. And that's who lives, who dies, who tells your story. I think I've told you that before. Yeah, and, well, you're a narrative therapist, so also like, yeah, I feel like you can incorporate that so much. Ah, uh, yeah, and I have, and. Fun, fun aside, um, at one point I was considering doing a dissertation um, and using that as a title for said dissertation. So I bet yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda would have retweeted it all the time. Wouldn't that have been fantastic if he yeah. would have? I mean, that'd been great. Like a bucket list item. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hamilton liked my dissertation. Hamilton liked my dissertation. That is probably the nerdiest thing I would ever say. <laughs> probably not. Um, yeah oh good grief good grief thanks for having me I guess so I mean yeah why not why not it was good was it yeah all right my first podcast experience was a pleasant one well I'm glad that you had a a pleasant time here on the podcast um, hanging out with me and yeah. um, anyway, we are we are gonna probably wrap this sucker up here in just a second. Any any final thoughts that you have, Paige, before we we call it a day? I final thoughts. Um, I think what something that I hadn't thought about right now is who you know the who lives who dies who tells your story and who you let run your narrative and like. I think that's something we could all be more aware of, of whose voice in our head is telling our story. Who's mm-hmm. cause it's our story. You own it. Like, and maybe challenging those people or thoughts that try to narrate your story that aren't the most helpful. Um, I hadn't really thought about that until today. So that's yeah. my takeaway from today. Yeah. And um, not only that, but like we, I think of like developmentally speaking, you know, we, we look at infancy through death, like lifespan development, if we really want to go there for a hot second. And part of what's happening um, in your like late middle age and even being like going into like an older adult into, a, into to elderly status is this concern, like in your, your 50s, 60s and 70s of what am I leaving behind? What legacy have I left for my my friends, my family, society as a whole? And uh, between those two things, like who are we allowing to tell our story? Who are we allowing to write our story? Um, How are we reading it? And what are we leaving behind? I think those are things that should probably be at the front of our 
of our mind as we kind of leave here and, you know, tagging on to what you're saying, of course. So yeah, absolutely. Anyway, well, again, Paige, thank you for, for listening to, um, and talking with me about stuff. Um, as we leave here today, if you want to get in contact with Paige, uh, just check us out, um, on the socials and on YouTube and stuff like that, where we're going to be posting a video version of this particular podcast episode. So you can see all the funny looks that Paige and I have been giving each other. I mean, just like swinging things in the air as I'm ADHD and playing with them. That's right. And, um, anyway, so if you want to get in contact with us, you can do that. You can send us an email to trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a, uh, a little phone call using Google Voice. Uh, we have um, a little phone number for you. So it's 817-752-4757. Finally, if you want to email us, you can do that by uh, sending us an email to trtvpod at gmail.com. Remember that um, we do read these and that um, just don't make it like a freaking you know Reynolds pamphlet or a dissertation or a manifesto or something because I don't want to read that much. But... Don't have time to read that much. Love y'all. Yeah. So with that, um, thank you all for listening. And as we peace out of here, may you always remember to take care and stay down.